Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com slash comedy podcast network. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. You're listening to Living the Dream. It's all the poster of those bald blue guys playing drums. I'm like, well, that looks interesting. My name is Rich Baker, and I get to talk with those who make their living in the world of entertainment. Ozzy wants to meet you. Oh. Like kick ass. Let's go meet Big thank you to Phil Ranta, CEO of Comedy Podcast Network. So it appeared that I had like shed this single <laughs> tear and her mouth. Tom Burns made the logo. Diana Lawrence wrote and composed the music. It's interesting is all the blue men have really good skin. I think it's the exfoliation. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave a comment. Rate the shows. A lot of great episodes. If you haven't heard them, I recommend them all. So I'm like, I think I need to jump up and down on Jay Leno's desk. Facebook.com slash Living the Dream Podcast has photos, recommendations, information. At, at one point, they were paying me to audition. Email me, livingthedreampodcast at gmail.com. There's, there's blue on my cat. There's, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have nice things, Rich. This show features member of the Blue Man Group, Tom Galassi. Hey guys, I got a great interview coming up with Thomas Galassi of the Blue Man Group. Real quick, just wanted to shout out for myself. If you're in the Chicago area, I'm doing a stand-up showcase on the 16th of July at Studio B. That is Belmont and Sheffield. I'll be doing 45 minutes of comedy uh, Lucia Bonifazi and Jamie Campbell will be opening up for me, and they're both very hilarious. I'm inviting a lot of agents and uh, taping it, so it's important for me. It's only $5 at the door. If you can come, I'd appreciate it. Thanks so much. So I'm living the dream. My name is Rich, and I'm here with Tom Galassi. He is a blue man, which makes me really, really excited because I love watching the blue man group. So, Tom, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, you are you dress up in blue, you put blue paint on, and you entertain people doing uh, what I would consider it's like part cirque, part clown, part uh, it's a whole lot of music. I mean, is is blue man show in your opinion defined as any type of entertainment other than blue man? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think it pulls from a lot of different things over the years, but we we almost look at it as an experiment. And it's not not really a show. Like we're going to perform for you, because the audience is we call the fourth blue man. A lot of times they really determine oh. how things go. A lot of times, so each night is very very different. Really. And um, we work actually really hard not to plan things. So it's all based on impulse, and the audience provides us, you know, with material, uh, their responses for us to be impulsive and and you know and go through this evening experimenting on them. Because I've done it for 14 years, and I know exactly what to do to make the audience laugh, but that's that's not what's important to us. It's Uh-oh. that they go through this experience with us, you know. And the result is laughter and music and chaos, but um, it's not what we're shooting for, the laughs, for sure. So can you maybe, like, define, like, like as a, an audience member, what do you want them to come away from a Blue Man shoot show like feeling or thinking or whatever. Right. Well, I think it's it's very personal to them. I've seen a lot of reactions over the years from this is stupid to <laughs> to people crying in the lobby afterwards, which is rare, but it, but it happens sometimes. I met uh, last year, a whole group of kids came. A young girl was crying in the lobby and all her friends were kind of making fun of her. And she came up to me and she said, I get it. I get it. My friends don't get it, but I get it. And gave me a hug. <laughs> So I was like, she got something. And the abstract nature of this thing and the chaos of this thing is what really keeps people like myself doing it for 14, 15 years or, yeah. or more even. Some people are into their 20th year doing this. 
because you just don't know what's going to happen or how people are going to react to the thing. And uh, that's what keeps it fresh for us. Wow. So what does, you've been doing this for 14 years. Were you a performer before that? I did. I went to theater school in uh, Western Illinois University. And before that, I did a program in New York where we would go out into the middle of the woods with acting teachers from the city or actors, out-of-work actors and teachers. And we would just be in the woods and, and take these acting classes. So I was always sort of a ham, you know, an attention <laughs> hound. But when I met these teachers at probably 13 or 14, I thought, well, there's something to this. There's, there's I don't know, I hate the word craft because it sounds pretentious, but there's a, it's kind of a craft. Uh-huh. I can hone this need for attention and turn it into something, maybe even a career. And that's when it sort of became serious. As far as the, like the drumming and stuff goes, my dad uh, drummed on the side. He builds houses, but he was always in a band. Oh, okay. So I'd watch him. We actually had a drum set in our kitchen growing up, which I thought was normal. So I spent the night at a friend's house for the first time, and I asked him where his drum set was. So we, <laughs> we just always playing drums. Like my mom would be cooking, my dad would be at the table like paying bills, and I would be just slamming on the drums. Oh, wow. You know, and my brother would be there slamming on the drums. And it was something normal. So when I found <laughs> Blue Man, I thought, wow, this is made up for me. Like, who made this stuff up, you know? <laughs> I feel like the stereotype is most parents are like, okay, you can play an instrument you want, but not the drums because they're too loud. And your parents are like, no, these they, they're always going to be here. Yeah, my parents were a little crazy in the best in the best way. They just sort of, we grew up in the woods. They built their own house from like the ground up. Like wow. my dad, we bought this land, I guess I was five years old. And my dad started putting up some boards. I said, what are you doing? He's like, I'm building our house. <laughs> <laughs> I just laughed at him and was like, sure, whatever. You know, it was five. Didn't know what was going on. And we started living in this thing. And so I think from an early age, I sort of learned that like the rules that are put on us don't necessarily have to apply. It was we, we lived in a, a, a work of progress, and it's still being built. I mean, he's still adding garages and things onto it. Oh, no kidding. And people told him they were nuts. What, are you going to build a house in the middle of the country? It's not going to work out. Why don't you, you know, just buy a house? And, and uh, so it was really, I think, them who kind of showed us without really meaning to that you can just kind of go do whatever you want so when it came to making noise that was cool when it when I said you know I think I want to be a performer which a lot of parents frown on like well what was you know what's your backup I was like I don't know and they're like they're like go for it you know go be a performer if you want and I think a lot of their friends and some of my family were pretty skeptical they're like well you got to have a backup you know be an accountant or something sure to make money but I didn't think of it in those terms I was just sort of like I gotta this is what I want to do and luckily, I found the Blue Man Group. That's awesome. Yeah. So you grew up in Illinois. Yeah. Great. And uh, was were you like taking trips back and forth to Chicago a lot and seeing a lot of theater and things that were influencing you? No, not at all. My trips were to New York. I don't think I was even in Chicago until I had been to New York probably six or seven times. Oh, no kidding. I became obsessed with New York City. I wanted to move to New York City. Um, I saw some shows out there. I did that program. And the end of the, it's called the Beginnings Program. It's uh-huh. a pretty amazing program for kids. And at the end of it, we would perform a monologue off Broadway. So we actually went into the city and went to a theater. I think the theater that we performed at the first time I was there was playing like naked men singing or something. <laughs> so during the day we went in, but there's still these like naked men singing programs everywhere. And we get up and do this monologue in front of agents. And I, sort, I sort of got like obsessed with New York. I started wearing a second watch that had Eastern time on it. <laughs> Almost like maybe using, you know, the book, The Secret, just being like, I will be in New York someday and I will do this. And so uh, I ended up, putting a lot of time in New York in the summertime. 
So the Blue Man Group, uh, first of all, I love it. It's been around for a while, yeah. and so you, but you weren't at the beginning, but you were, you've been at it for, like, how long ago did it start versus when you got in? Well, they opened their off-Broadway show in, I think it was 91, Okay. Um, and they were experimenting with stuff in, you know, the late 80s. And I, when I was in college, I saw a poster for it. They had a poster at my college saying, you know, Blue Man Group, come audition sometime. And I thought, well, I don't know what that is. That's oh, wow. it. That seems interesting. And then when I went to New York, I walked past the theater and saw the poster of those bald blue guys playing drums. I thought, oh, that looks interesting. So I just, it kind of was in the back of my mind. And when I finally moved to New York, I was auditioning for everything, you know, commercials, as, as, plays. As the game. Yeah, I would go in and read for like a French fry commercial and say, you know, these fries are delicious. And that was it. I was like, this is not fulfilling me artistically. <laughs> you know, I'm but like, you got free fries. Yeah, I got free fries. <laughs> Or I'd play like a shoe salesman or a disgruntled uh, checkout person at a grocery store and just kept auditioning and auditioning. And I met the Blue Man people and something clicked. I was like, these guys are interesting. Uh, they're creative. What they're doing can't be explained in, in a paragraph. And it really just, it struck me as something that I think I wanted to be a part of. Nice. When you, so did you started in New York then? At what point did you come to Chicago? Uh, I started in New York. It took me eight months to get in. They auditioned me for eight months. Whoa. And I, at one point, they were paying me to audition. I had learned the whole show. I never did it in front of an audience. And so I would, I would show up, and they would give me a packet and say, take this packet away and go read it. And it was this like, cryptic description of what the show could be, ways to think about the show. And um, I just kept coming back, and I, I finally was like, what do, you, what do you guys want from me? I really, <laughs> want, I really want this, but I don't, know, I don't know what's happening. And I kind of freaked out during uh, one of the auditions one day or one of the training sessions and I said I don't know what you want from me and I walked around the stage and I said "Ooh, look at this look at this here's a vortex here's a here's some PVC pipes and I kind of flipped out and they're like okay uh, go wait in a room and they came in that day and said you got the job okay, and I said so what what was it they're like we wanted to see you we wanted to see you gritty we wanted to see your life experience we wanted to see you push to you know, the end of your string. Oh. And what took me so long, I think it was, I was 20 years old. I didn't have a lot of life experience. I didn't have a lot of angst. I didn't have a lot of things that, that Blue Man is commenting on. And I think they were the very thing that pushed me to show them the thing that they needed to see from me. Wow, that's, you know? that works. Yeah, yeah. So uh, were you one of the first guys to go away from New York and perform? When I got hired, they had just opened Boston. So okay. there was New York and Boston. And Chicago was opening soon. So I got into training and did a lot of shows in New York. And they're like, we need to send you somewhere. We're going to send you to Boston to work. I thought, oh, fine. You know, I'm just happy to be in the show. Sure. I really wanted to be in Chicago because I'm from central Illinois. I thought that would be convenient. And uh, someone in Chicago hurt their back. And so they said, do you want to go to Chicago for 10 weeks? I said, sure. So I lived in a crash pad for 10 weeks and did the show. And really fell in love with it. Fell in love with the show here. Fell in love with the city. And they said, uh, you can stay if you want. And I've sort of been there ever since. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but you've all, I mean, in addition to being here, you've also toured and done lots of things, right, as well? Yeah, I spent a year on the road with uh, our first Blue Man tour called the Complex Rock Tour, which is on DVD. And we toured 90 cities in Canada. And uh, I opened the show in Toronto, spent three months there. I opened the show in Berlin, spent three months there. And um, performed on The Tonight Show, performed for... 30,000 people in Tokyo at the Summer Sonic Festival, and the most bizarre was performing for the Queen of England at something called the Royal Variety Show. Wow. <laughs> yeah, bizarre. And I realized what the Queen pretty much does is go to things. Like, she goes to things and <laughs> watches them, and you shake her hand, you know? And you shook her hand. I did shake her hand, and 
people often ask me like, you know, what's some of the most bizarre things that happened to you in Blue Man over the years? And the most bizarre and scary thing to this day was shaking the queen's hand because we operate on impulse. We try to get ourselves to a raw state and operate on impulse. And so when the queen stepped in front of me, I was very nervous. There was all this security, you know, and we couldn't turn our back to the queen. So when we got done performing, we had to back off the stage. So there's already this feeling of, of tension and respect for the queen. But when the queen got in front of me, all I wanted to do was take a little, my thumb, take a little blue off of my cheek and put it on her cheek. So bad. I'm like, this is going to be huge, man. This is going to be all over the papers. This is going to be something really amazing. I didn't do it. I froze. And I'm so glad because it scares me to this day. That would have been the worst thing I think I could have done for Blue Man Group, for myself. I probably would have been tackled, oh, put yeah. into some kind of prison, and probably fired. I don't know. The, 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 I didn't understand quite what the queen was at that time. Yeah. Or it would be like me doing that to Obama. Maybe he would have a better sense of humor about it. I, I don't know. But I don't know if the Secret Service would, but maybe Obama No, would. yeah, they wouldn't. I would for sure be tackled. <laughs> but to be that close to the queen and, and want to do that, today, it, it still scares me. I get, I get adrenaline thinking about it. I'm like, I'm so glad. I had the mindset to just back off for a second. And the weird thing was that very day, Ozzy Osbourne was performing there as well. So we were going back from her performance. This large man like wearing leather comes out and goes, Ozzy wants to meet you. We're oh. like, kick ass. Let's go meet Ozzy. <laughs> That's awesome. Why not? So we go into this room and there's all these, you know, the little dogs from his show, from his reality show. He's got yeah. like four or five little dogs. They're running around and Ozzy Osbourne is sitting on this like recliner thing. And he just stands up. And we look at him and he looks at us and nothing is said for a while. And he's like, let's get a picture. You know, so we take a picture and then he looks at me and he goes, how did you guys come up with this? Was it drugs? And that was it. And then we were escorted out and I have this great picture that my parents have blown up and framed and stuck it on in their, you know, their basement bar meeting Ozzy Osbourne. But a lot of times these stories are, are better stories than experiences because they're just so surreal. I'm like, here's Ozzy Osbourne. Here's the Queen of England. What happens now? Like, what do yeah. I do with this? It's like when you see a, a UFO, you're just like, I saw it, but what do you do with this yeah. information now? Like, I don't know what to do about this. Well, I met Ozzy. Yeah. And you're in full makeup when, when you meet these people. Right, yeah. So are, I don't, are you allowed to talk when you're in makeup? Uh, we're allowed to. We try not to. Definitely in the context of the show, we don't talk. And well, in yeah. the lobby, when we're taking pictures, we don't talk. Um, but with Ozzy, you know, it, we weren't performing. So I, I definitely wanted to say at least hi yeah. to them. <laughs> To the Prince of Darkness. Crazy train. <laughs> yeah. There's so many things I wanted to say to him. When I met Frank Oz, I was really trying to, to watch myself too, because I'm such a huge Frank Oz fan. You know, the Dark Crystal, the Muppets. Yeah. And Star Wars and Yoda, the voice of Miss Piggy. And all I wanted to say to him was, do Yoda. Would you, would you do Yoda? <laughs> so instead, I kept my mouth shut and just shook his hand and said, you know, I'm a big fan. So I, I keep getting presented with these really strange opportunities. One impulse that I did act on, which I'm really happy I did, was we did the Tonight Show and you know they're rolling the credits and Bill Paxton was on and I'm yeah. a huge Bill Paxton fan especially with like Weird Science Chet in Weird Science it's like yeah. the best performances ever and uh, the credits were rolling and I was like I'm a blue man I can do whatever I want and it's okay so I'm like I think I need to jump up and down on Jay Leno's desk I'm gonna do this so I just ran over to his desk and started jumping up and down on it during the credits which actually that part didn't air but Bill Paxton walks over to me looks me in the eyes I'm jumping and goes yeah man yeah like i don't know what that means either but i feel like we bonded i think he thought i was uh i don't know sticking it to the system somehow you know oh. what i mean the false talk show like this is something real and that's what i really like about blue man too is it, it it sort of lifts the veil on a lot of things yeah you know that are presented 
and we kind of can get away with it because we're the blue man group. We can yeah, do whatever you we can, want, you, can you know? You're, you're paying blue. You can get away with murder. Yeah, and that freedom is scary sometimes, especially in front of a huge audience or on television. You get impulsive and, you you, you know, you don't want to have it down on tape forever. Yeah. You don't want to make a, a mistake, but you also want to take some risks. Wow. I love that because Bill Paxton's from my hometown. So I'm What's like, your hometown? Fort Worth, Texas. So okay. That's fun. I played Fort Worth. Yeah? At some point, yeah. Blue Man went through there and on tour. On our tour, yeah. All of Texas is amazing for us. Like we, we toured all over Texas, and they are the wildest crowd. They embrace us. like They love us down there. and It's it's pretty awesome. That's where we actually filmed the DVD. Oh, we, cool. t- we did it in Dallas. Yeah, perfect. Because the crowd was just out of control. Oh, I love that. Uh, well, and I'm from, I didn't see Blue Man until I left Texas, but I've seen it, I think, five or six times, and I, I dig the show. Uh, what do you think is... The success, I mean, like, so this show's been 20 years or more, whatever. I mean, like, why is this show still able to exist? Well, last February, we revamped the whole show, redesigned the whole show. And one of the things is commenting on technology. And technology changes so quickly that we have to stay on top of that. So... In the, we create a world for the Blue Man to sort of explore and connect in, and, and this latest version deals a lot with uh, something we call Jipads, which are giant iPhones that we interact with. But regardless of all the special effects and the music and the chaos and the lights, to answer your question clearly, I think the one thing is the Blue Man character himself, and I have a story about why, um, and a version of, of, of that. What happened last week was I was walking... Uh, through the audience. The most simple things, I think, are what keeps us going this long. And I walked up, there was a teenage group there, and there was one girl with her arms crossed. She has really upset look on her face, like, this is dumb. I could see it in her eyes, like, yeah. I don't want to be here. Maybe something happened on the school bus, like her and her boyfriend Doug broke up. Like, I don't know what, you could tell she was having some teenage angst. So sure. I'm walking through the crowd, and we have all this time, it's being scored by drums to so just connect with the audience. And I look her in the eye, and she looks me in the eye, and she just like sticks to what she's thinking. She's like, you're dumb. I could see it. Teenage, you're dumb. <laughs> so I'm like, well, I'm going to stay with you. And I just looked at her in the eye and I wasn't judging her. I was trying to see what was going on with her. And then she looked back at me and her, her, her face started to change a little bit. You could kind of see a little bit of a smile. And then I felt like a little piece of a little bead of sweat, like run down my forehead and it went into my eye and it pooled in my eye and fell out of my eye like a tear. So it appeared that I had like shed this single <laughs> tear and her mouth opened and her arms unfolded and I just looked at her for another second and walked on and moved to the next thing and blew her mind. Like we connected as humans. I feel like I could see, this sounds so weird, but this is the thing that keeps the show going. Something is going on with this human connection among all this stuff and lights that we throw at them and chaos and sound. It's a human looking at another human and we exchange information without talking and it's so abstract and that's what makes people cry at the end sometimes because i think that they've they've see they see the blue man's humanity and that's the thing that we work on all the time is to not be fake to not try to be funny but to sort of be shamans of this experience yeah yeah and that's why it's fun for me to do because obviously it's 14 thrilling years yeah have you ever in the 14 years you've been doing this have you ever been like man i, I kind of want to move on to other things I kind of you know do be you know be a touring musician or being an actor or whatever it is that you know you you kind of are into well the the cool thing about Blue Man is that I have done other things um what I really want to do and what I've done with my brother is make a couple of independent films and 
uh, do some film festivals. We got distributed uh, through Facets in Chicago, our first movie, and oh. it's on Netflix. And so what it does is it, it, it does provide me the money to fund, you know, our little projects, which don't make money. Sure. They just, they're money siphons, but they're the dream, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I just, you know, take some time off and go film a movie or try to re- rearrange my schedule to go film a movie. Um, some of the guys do plays. Some of the guys are in bands. They take time off and tour. So what's, it's really important to Blue Man to keep people that long, to keep the artists that they want to keep, to let them go pursue other things. I see. Because it keeps us, us interested and fresh. We can't just do the show nonstop. Yeah. 14 years. I took a... Uh, a few months off one time I took uh, six months off at one point but ended up coming back and and filling in in Vegas and and some other places but I think to keep those good people you got to set them free once in a while and let them do what they love to do cool this may be the dumbest question but I I can't wait um (laughs) the I did a promotions gig one time where I had to use the blue the same blue paint that you guys use uh and we were it was us cellulars talk till you're blue in the face and we put on blue and everything and it was the dumbest thing uh, uh it was in chicago like six years ago but uh i remember that like taking that makeup off was hard yeah. and my skin felt a little raw afterwards yeah. and i'm like if i'm guessing you're doing a minimum of at least three to four shows a week i'm like, doing seven or eight a week seven if, or eight shows a week yeah. so you're caking makeup on your yeah. face is your skin just like made of Krypton or something? Like- you know, something is, is interesting is all the blue men have really good skin. I think it's the exfoliation. Okay. Like every day. I, I, you know, I don't know. We have some special, it's called jojoba oil that we put on. <laughs> of course it is. And it, it, it takes the blue off. But honestly, Rich, it's never off. Like I'll pull it out of my nose once in a while. The weirdest thing was I had taken a month off and on about day 20, I blew my nose and some blue and some red and some green came out. <laughs> and I thought, well, where's this stuff hiding in me? I'm probably tempered with yeah. makeup, you know, at this point. Have you, you've seen Arrested Development? Have you ever seen that yeah, TV yeah. Show? Did the whole like blue man story arc from, uh, from Tobias, did that resonate with you at all? Like, do you remember that? Where he's yeah. auditioning for Blue Man. There's like blue all over the walls and old paint and stuff. Yeah, that happens. There's, there's, there's blue on my cat. There's, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have nice things, Rich. <laughs> I don't have nice There's things. Blue in my cat. There is. I, I want to see the blue cat group. No, oh, I want to see that show. Uh, <laughs> it won't be as good, but it'll be cute for about a minute. But uh, you know, that's interesting because I use my cat a lot for the the character because the cat is so simple, and when she's looking at something like a moth, she's not acting like she's looking at a moth and turning her head. She is focused on the moth with all of her being, and that's one of the things that that we do in Blue Man to see a piece of cereal for the first time and make it important um, and do that seven times a week is the hard part but to honestly do it is, is something that we have to do to make this thing real you know to make it a real experience so I spent a lot of time watching my cat and hanging out with my cat it really <laughs> helped my character quite I a love bit that. yeah when at what point did you kind of or did you ever uh, when you were starting to do this go you know what in 2012 or 2015 or 2020, I hope I'm still doing this. Did you ever have that point where you're like, I want to do this for the long haul? Yeah, about a year in, um, I started to get good at it. It takes about a year to get good at it. And I'm, I'm never done with it. I'll never get it right, which is part of the draw, too. You know, we just try. But I was hoping that the thing would last. And I was hoping that in 2012, I will be part of it still, mm-hmm. you know. Um, because just the people that I've met, the the musicians, the artists, and, and most of my good friends in some way or form have worked for Blue Man Group. They're just cool people. They're yeah. neat people and they're open people. It's a group of people that you could just say anything around. 
and they're like, that's interesting. Let's talk about that. You know, <laughs> I, I like being around those kinds of people. Um, and they're inspiring people. And if I have a film project or, or something I want to do, I have instant people who want to score it. I instantly have people who are like, hey, I'll do the score for your movie. I have actors who want to be in stuff. And um, um, yeah. That's awesome. So you're, you're doing this show, and the show happens all over. Is, is the show still growing? Is it still in more cities and touring and doing that? Is it still expanding and finding yeah, new audiences? Yeah, it's expanding. Um, yeah, it's always expanding. The cool, the cool thing about Blue Man is they've been very, very careful over the years on how they expand and what, oh. what their image is. I mean, from the beginning, they've been asked to do any kind of product that is blue. They've been asked to do the commercials. Mm. You know, blue soda, blue candy. And they were like, what, how do we want to represent ourselves? So when they finally did do a commercial, it was uh, for Intel. I remember that They did one, the yeah. Intel ads. And the Las Vegas show had just opened. And they decided to do a commercial for a product that you couldn't necessarily eat or touch. It was technology. And that went right along with Blue Man. So, excuse me. They did the Intel commercials and we started to sort of blow up. And the Vegas show became packed. The Chicago show became packed because people get their first um, glimpse of these blue men from a, a commercial, and it it sticks with them. Um, but yeah, right now we have a, a national tour, and we have Boston, Chicago, New York. Uh, we have a new show opening in Las Vegas. They're switching casinos over to the Monte Carlo. And last week, I just saw some of the material, and once again, they're redefining themselves. This stuff just blew my mind. I'm like. I don't know how they're no going to... No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> B-L-U-E, my mind. Um, but yeah, because they evolve, um, they just keep going. And the, the Vegas show, I, I cannot wait to see the Vegas show because some of the images I saw, some of the new instruments, um, quite frankly, and I don't like the word frankly, quite frankly, uh, blew my mind. Yeah. You got to check out this new Vegas show in the fall. Like, All right. So I, I said, wow. When I pulled up this one image, I said, wow, we're, we're going to do that. Awesome. And is it going to run concurrently with the regular Blue Man show? Or is it it's going to close in the Venetian. Oh, it's I the see. older version of the show. And then they're going to take a month off and put up this new version. Pretty much take over the Monte Carlo Casino. Wow. Um, there's there's rumors of Blue Men uh, parachuting in. There's a, yeah. a parade procession before each show. Um, flying creatures. There's a giant brain. When we hit a drum, electricity goes through the whole theater into this brain. There's like... There's giant drums that we hit, and smoke <coughs> smoke rings come out of them and sustain themselves with the audience, and um, it's it's really like nothing I've seen image-wise, and it's pretty cool that Blue Man is going to do that. A and, lot of people must go into making a Blue Man show because it's like, obviously you've got the Blue Man on stage, but uh, you know you've got video people yeah. and uh, like just how many people does it take to put up a show? It takes so many. I don't know the exact number, but it like it, more than twenty. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. When we opened, um, like for instance, Berlin, a lot of people came from New York. Probably 30, 40 people came from New York, and then they started pulling performers from all over the country, just to put the show up and tech this show. So a, a lot of uh, uh, writing and stuff goes into, and a lot of trial and error. There's a there's a place we call Third Street in New York, where it's a recording studio and it's also a giant space. It's pretty cool because it's like floor-to-ceiling drums and instruments and boat antennas and all these pieces of things, and we experiment there. And um, my job is actually really cool because not only am I performing, but I'm training the next generation of blue men, training guys, and also recently started writing for them for the future, like hopefully helping them to write commercials 
or maybe even new pieces as the years go by because we're not thinking of this thing as you know maybe closing in a few years this thing's going to go on and on hopefully oh, yeah. i mean know? if it's lasted this long why yeah. is it going to stop anytime soon yeah we'd like i'd like to keep it going because i mean it's the only thing that i know how to do at this point <laughs> 14 years of my life into it you know fair enough it's not like i can transition into the coffee shop they wouldn't hire me they'd be like no <laughs> you don't want to work here what is the secret, if I'm not asking the magician to reveal his secrets here, what is the secret of catching a marshmallow from 30 plus feet away? Yeah, the, the secret to that is practice. And I think when I first started for about a month, I would do that for five hours a day. Someone would wow. throw, throw marshmallows at me and I would choke and gag and we would try to figure out how it, how, it's a little different. Everyone has a different mouth, you know, so you have to figure out how to store your marshmallows. Um, but the, the interesting part of that is after a lot of my family and friends saw the show, I couldn't be at a campfire without someone pulling out a bag of marshmallows being like, let's go. I'm like, no, nah. I'm not doing this for free. I leave work at work, yeah. pal. That makes my mom nervous still. She'll come to the show and she'll be like, are you doing that marshmallow thing? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it. What? Uh, so, okay. Uh, and I told you this before we got on air, but the, uh, when I first moved to Chicago, 2005, there, I saw an audition posting for Blue Man and I was like, I, man, I'd love to do this. But I saw the show already, and I was like, I'm not technically a very skilled drummer. And I'm right. like, I don't think I can do that. But I have since learned from a video that you sent me that that might not necessarily be a requirement. Right. The, the biggest requirement is that you are a blue man, and there's nothing you can do to make yourself a blue man. You're sort of born a blue man in a way. And I'm not meaning to sound exclusive, but there's, there's an X factor about... Uh, a person and it's not necessarily defined so if someone comes in auditions and they are a blue man you can you can tell they have an interesting point of view they have a um, a high level of energy there's something dark or interesting about them and they're not a drummer a uh, blue man will pay for their drum lessons and we've had people in drum lessons for you know a year or two and right. come and made a successful career in blue man after that and and likewise if you're not an actor we've had people go away and uh, take acting classes and come back a year later and get the gig and perform for years and years with Blue Man. So um, the part that's hardest to define is the part that is the most important. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you, so if a 15 year old kid said, Tom, I want to be a Blue Man, uh, what would you tell him to like do? It's interesting. Our new, one of our newer guys, uh, he told me that he's always wanted to be a Blue Man since he was a kid. And when I got hired, we found out he was nine years old. So I'm performing with a guy who, when he first wanted to be a blue man, was nine years old. Wow. Um, I, I don't know. I, w- I would tell them to, uh, you know, listen to music, do what they love to do, do art if they want to do, you know, paint or sculpt or do whatever they do. Just, you know, be honest with themselves and uh, pick up some drumsticks, go listen to music. Um, there, I don't know if there's anything you, you can do, but, but really get in touch with yourself. A lot of times people get stumped on um, performing because they're like, well, I'm in a show, I'm going to perform. They've seen Blue Man, so they figure I'll pop open my eyes really wide and kind of make a face. But it's got to be from deep within yourself, that yeah. interest, like the cat with the moth. It's got to be real. And that's, it's, a, it's a vulnerable thing to pull off, and it's a little scary to do. And then that's a, sort of a muscle to exercise, just revealing yourself. We put on the makeup, and it's, it's almost like we're wearing a mask, but we always talk about it in the way that we're peeling off our cultural mask. Like, this is me before I w- was taught what bad words were, what manners were, um, what I should like, what music is cool. This is just a raw human. And that's a hard thing to do for, for, oh, uh, for most people. And for even for us that, that sort of get it in the beginning a little bit, um, it's, that is continued to be asked of you nightly. 
you know, in a performance. And when it's fake, you're called out on it. Like you're, you're acting, you're schmacting a <laughs> shtick. That's not, that's not real. So that's the thing we always work on. That's what, that's what keeps the people coming back because they connect to these characters, which are now a cultural icon. I mean, when I started, I called home. I was like, I'm in the blue man group. And everyone's like, cool. What's that? Yeah. Which nowadays, you know, someone has seen them somewhere. Yeah, you know, everyone I mean, has seen them somewhere. Even if they haven't actually seen the show, they know what it is. Yeah, it's, you know, they've seen it on TV or a poster or something. You know? Yeah. In a terrible world, of, of, of hypothetical world, um, and you couldn't make any money off anything entertainment, so being a filmmaker, blue man, actor, any musician, none of that paid money for whatever reason, what career would make you, like, not want to kill yourself? <laughs> I think that I could see myself settled into, uh, well, I'd have to learn how to do this, but I like the vibe of like a, a, a small town like coffee shop, right. you know, or even bartending at a small town bar where you maybe see the same people and you can have conversations with people and it's just chill. Because that's the one of the things about Blue Man. It is so intense that when I'm done with the show... I don't want to go to a bar and I don't want to go to see music. I just want to go where it's quiet yeah. because of the energy radi- radiating off of that evening is, is so intense. So I think I'd want to do something quiet where I could have a beard. That's the thing, Rich. I can't have a beard. Oh, really? Because I have to shave and put on the makeup. Blue men don't have facial hair. I see. So when I started the gig at 20, I couldn't grow a beard. Now I can, having taken you know a month off. I'm like, cool, I have a beard. And then I have to go right back to work and shave the beard. So I want to have a beard. I want to serve coffee or, or drinks and just talk to people. I think that would be an amazing career for me. Right. Something chilled out. That's you know? fair. Yeah. What do you want to plug? Obviously, go to the Blue Man Group uh, in, in Chicago, if you're listening to Chicago. Or if wherever you are, there's probably Blue Man Group show that you can drive to or touring group coming through. So obviously that. You've got some films. Where can we find those and what are they called? Okay, so you go to blueman.com for all the information about Blue Man Group. And we're always looking for Blue Men is the thing. There's, oh. there's not a cutoff point because it's, it's sort of hard to find them. Um, so we're always have blue men in training. So go to blueman.com to see that. And also, um, I'm revamping my website right now, downstateproductions.com, mm-hmm. where you can uh, get information on our indie films. And my first movie, Troubadours, is available on Netflix. There's a few titles with the name Troubadours, but ours was the first title. Okay. And it's a little indie film we made several years ago with our, you know, our own money, with our friends and and actors, and uh, and uh, check that out. Troubadours on Netflix. On Netflix. And Downstate... Downstate Productions. Downstate Productions. Yeah. Uh, and then we can see your films. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Tom, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Living the dream. Big thank you to Phil Ranta, Tom Burns, Diana Lawrence. Check us out, facebook.com slash livingthedreampodcast. If you want to email me, maybe you know someone you'd like to me to interview on the show or you'd like to be on the show living the dream podcast at gmail.com rate the show on itunes leave a comment check out some of the older episodes next week's episode features co-founder and owner of mission improbable aaron krebs my name is rich baker and this is living the dream